0: I want to encourage you to take your Bibles or your tablets, uh, whatever you use, and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Uh, as twice today, my son has used the term OG in reference to me, and I, I don't even know what, is that old goat? I mean, I mean, you know, is he getting revenge? I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure what's going on, but, uh, you know, when you grow up and, you know, you've heard all the stories about preacher kids and, uh, you know they're 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 mainly true. <laughs> I mean, you know, we just were praying him out of prison. We never thought that, uh, you know, that one day God would use him. And uh, uh, but you know, it, the truth of the matter is, between me and you, when God uses anybody, it's because of His goodness. It's not because of anything we bring to the table. You and I love the stars. You know, whether they're athletic stars or stars in, you know, Hollywood or, uh, you know, sometimes in the church we even get into our uh, superstars within the kingdom of God. Uh, But in the body of Christ proper, there's only one star and that's our God who loves us and gave himself for us and walks with us through the difficulties and the challenges and the joys of life. And so, always all the glory goes to Him. This is an interesting passage uh, that I'm going to share with you this morning. It is one of those passages that I've read many times. And uh, the Bible tells us that God gives us revelation. Now, revelation doesn't mean that God tells you something that is distinct from what He's already told someone else. Revelation means that essentially there's something there that you don't get or you don't see. And all of a sudden, you see it. And many times what happens is God will put you in a circumstance in your life. And if you're pursuing God in those circumstances, uh, especially if it's a difficult circumstance, God will speak to you by His Spirit, through His Word, and show you something that you think, well, gee, I never even knew that was there. And this is one of these passages that we kind of almost read as kind of a historical text where we're trying to move somewhere else. We're using this text as a springboard to get to another point. And we will get to the last few verses, but I want you to see the first few verses because they're, they're indicative of an experience that is, is if it's not common to you today, it's going to be common to you eventually in your life. My son and I were talking about it this morning one of our first friends uh, overseas was a university professor of physics. And uh, we were talking about us coming to share the gospel in his culture. And he was saying, well, I've got, a, I've got one issue with you North American missionaries coming into our culture to share the gospel. And I thought, oh, you know, this isn't going to be great. Turned out to be one of my best friends. But uh, he made this statement. He said, you guys from America have no theology of suffering. And therefore, you have nothing to say. You have no theology of suffering. And he said, here in this place, my people, these people, we suffer. We get cancer. There's no medical treatment. We die. We get the pneumonia. We die. Our children die. The graveyards are filled with the graves of our children. If you go into... Uh, the Northeast, where I've worked with a lot of churches and had time off, I like to go into the old graveyards. And the graveyards are filled with uh, families of six or seven children. Some plague or some disease came through the United States and took out uh, many of the children. And so that was that was an indication to me that somehow in my formative years as a Christian, that even though the truth would be told that I understood a lot of the gospel, the truth also would be told that I only stood, understood a part of the gospel, and in some ways, the American message of the gospel, kind of the happy clappy, all is right with me because of what God has done for me, what uh, left me ill prepared uh, for some of uh, the trials and the shut doors and the disappointments that I've faced in life. And the reality is one of the greatest things for me has been the discovery is that the Scripture is filled with failure. The Scripture is filled with people who suffered. Now, it's got some victories. It's got some joyous experience. And and the truth of the matter is is that in life, both can be true simultaneously apart from one another. uh, But we need to be prepared for the reality Uh, that we as uh, people who choose to follow Christ, that we are not immune from the difficulties and the challenges that our friends and neighbors who live in the world apart from God, that they're facing every day. It it is a matter of fact that it it is in our suffering that God's strength and that His glory is most demonstrated to those around us who are also suffering. Now, I know that's not a message you came to hear this morning. I mean, that's not, that's not what a lot of us long to hear, especially if we're really young, which, as you've noticed, I'm not any longer. But I want you to look at verse 6, and I, I kind of want to draw attention to what happens here in the life of Paul. Now, let me just kind of give you a little historical context. Paul and Timothy, uh, Paul uh, kind of the Jews, Jude, let's just put it that way. He hated Gentiles. Uh, he comes to faith through a divine kind of revelation where he encounters Jesus on a road in Syria, totally transforms his life, and God sends him as a missionary to the people he hates. Now, that's the first clue. You know, he, you know God, God's going to give me everything I want. He's going to send me what I want. He's going to send me to places I like. Uh, no, probably not. So Paul, the Jew who understood the Jew, the history of the Jews, knew how to communicate with the Jew, was fluent in Hebrew. He spends the rest of his life with the Greeks or the Gentiles or the pagans as they would have been called or as the Jews love to call them, the dogs. They they saw all Gentiles. You're a Roman Greek. You know, African American, whatever we might be, whatever our background is, unless your background is from the Jewish faith, you're just, at this time, you are considered to be not of the family of God, your dog. And so this is where Paul gets sent. So uh, the church at Antioch, which was a Gentile church, one of the first Gentile churches, lays hands on Paul and Timothy, young guy, and they send him out. Now, my guess is, knowing Paul, he was a real scholastic type academic guy, that there was probably a lot of planning about his journey, where he would go. And because he was a spiritual man, there was probably some prayers and so needless to say my thought is Paul had a plan that he felt like he was feeling like had been blessed by God. He felt like he was walking in God's will. But I want you to see the response and the circumstances that he faces verse 6 and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now this this is kind of southern Turkey. So, Paul's got his plan. He's got his affirmation from God. And so they travel this long distance. And when when they get there, uh, he has some type of revelation or he has a dream or maybe, probably more than likely, circumstances close the door. And so uh, this missionary journey starts out as a resounding failure. The door is shut. Have you ever had a door shut in your face? Have you ever had a dream die? Have you, have you ever had something that you even felt, you felt spiritual about it? I mean, as a Christian, you, you prayed about something, you felt good about something, a relationship was good, something sweet was going on in your life. It, it seems like that maybe God was going to open a door and maybe there was a lot of anticipation of that or maybe, maybe even you got into the door and all of a sudden that door shut in your face. This is kind of where Paul is at. All these dreams... All these thoughts, all this planning is coming to naught. And then in verse 7, And when they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So that's twice. Two times. And then it goes on. So passing by Mysia, they went on down to Taurus, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. We're going to talk about that vision in just a minute, but essentially, the two doors that Paul thought were open were immediately, after all the effort of getting there, they were shut. The two dreams that he had of going into these areas where he could kind of share the good news of the gospel, because now there was persecution going on back in Jerusalem, but in Asia, in Greece, in Turkey, in these areas, people were wide open to hear about the good news of the gospel. So Paul would have been excited. Paul would have been Affirmed about going to these places, but when he got there, everything was shut down for him. This is this is one of the things that that you learn in life. Unfortunately, I think we could say as North Americans, is that the reality is success is not God's goal for your life. Now see, see, in America, in America, we're obsessed with success. We're obsessed, obsessed with victory. We're obsessed, you know, in, in, as a matter of fact, in many ways, even in church culture today, a lot of people who come into the church, you know, they kind of envision, you know, God as a tool in their tool belt to help them be successful in life. You know, it's kinda of, it's kind of a humanistic, man centered religion Christianity in a lot of ways, in a lot of churches in America, where God is kind of a cosmic bellboy that just waits in heaven for you to ring the bell, and when you ring the bell, he runs in to rescue from you from whatever dilemma or whatever circumstance, negative circumstance that you're currently confronting. But what if the reality that God shows himself in his power, in his sufficiency, in your failure in a more clearly way than he does in your successes? What, what, what if, what if, what if, and I'm just theorizing here on the basis of all the authority of Scripture. What, what if, what if God is more interested in the formation of His Son Christ in your life than He is in you getting what you want? If that was true... If it's true that God is working in the life of His children, and that His objectives is that for you to become less like yourself and more like Christ, then what will He do? Will it be through the median of successes? Will it be through the median of your dreams being fulfilled? Or will it be through the closing of doors and through your failures that God actually moves you towards that which will ultimately give you more satisfaction and fulfillment in life. You know, one of the things that Jesus said to us uh, is that in the book of John is that I have come that they might have life and that they might have it in abundance, now, we know, and you know in this church, and I have the full assurance that Chris isn't preaching a false gospel to you, but he's not talking about you driving a Lexus. I mean, if you are, praise God, can I drive it? I love Lexus. I mean, that's not the point. That's not the promise of God when he's talking about abundance. He's talking about the richness of the texture of life. He's talking about standing at the end, whenever the end is, knowing that God is not only sufficient, but he's glorious, and you're moving to something that is better than what you've currently experienced on this planet. I mean, that is the promise of God to His children, but it's not interpreted in a way many times in the life of the congregations of the churches in our country in a way that our brothers and sisters in Christ in China or in Turkey or in Iran or around the world that they can interpret the Scripture. They think, they think a lot of the preaching that we hear in America is nonsense, and frankly, it is. So, I, I kind of want to bring out just a few points in regards to dealing with closed doors, difficulties, and failure in life to kind of help you understand and see what I think God is ultimately doing to accomplish His purpose for His glory in your life so that when you come up to those moments, you won't find yourself... Uh, in despair because sometimes people say well when I don't sense the presence of God or when God doesn't come through for me in the way that I thought he should then the result of it is we either begin to doubt him or we begin to doubt ourselves and the reality is God may well have great purpose in your failure may have more purpose in your adversity than he does in your pleasure so the first one that I want to mention is: is you've got to you've got to fight for your faith in the moment, and you've got to trust and rest in the chaos of life. Now, isn't that exciting? Woo-hoo! Praise the Lord! <laughs> you know what I've learned is that that life is like going down. It's like going down a lake. And there are periods uh, for, for a lot of us, for some people, uh, you know, it's, it, they, they, they struggle from the time that they're born with physical ailments and some children die and some people face adversity and, and, you know, children in Syria face war and all kinds of horrible things around the world. But, you know, for me, you know, life was like a lake surrounded by loving parents and a middle-class home where, you know, just, the, you know, the sky was the limit and uh, we could dream and we could be, you know, anything that we wanted to be. Now, that was a lie, but it was a cultural lie that I kind of bought into. And then, then you know, I began to face adversity and I began to face challenges. And it's kind of like you go from a lake to all, all of a sudden you find yourself on like the French Broad River and there's a flood and you're in the rapids and you're going, God, where are you in this circle? circumstance. Where are you in this? And so we've kind of been trained to think that if we are facing difficulties in life, if doors are closing us, that somehow that is an indication of God's displeasure or God's absence from us. The truth of the matter is, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It it is in, in our most disappointing moments where God is probably the most present. Although, although many times, it doesn't always seem that like way in the moment. As a matter of fact, one of the things that uh, I'm beginning to learn as I've grown older is, is that life is chaotic. And I've got, to, I've got to fight the panic that rises in my soul when my life falls apart. I mean, Panic. What happens when the diagnosis is death? What happens when your, your children or your grandchildren are struggling and there's nothing you can do to intervene? Uh, I, I heard some of you are familiar with Pastor Tony Evans. He's an African-American pastor. He's kind of famous. He's uh, one of those guys who can preach and make everything rhyme. Hate guys like that. Uh, and great preacher. Great preacher. 17 months ago, his wife was diagnosed with cancer, and I can remember his first sermons were sermons of hope, sermons of confidence, sermons of faith. Uh, the church rallied around the pastor and his wife in prayer, and people prayed in faith, people prayed that God would be glorified in her healing. And for 17 months, she went through the chemotherapy, and she struggled, and, and she declined, and three weeks ago, she died. Uh, the week before uh, she passed away, some of you know his daughter, Priscilla Sivers, who's a, uh, kind of a famous Bible teacher herself. Uh, she was diagnosed with lung cancer herself. So the first time Tony uh, was back in the pulpit this past week, I listened to his sermon, and in his sermon was, you know, essentially, you know, uh, your pastor has has cried out to God, and the heavens have been silent. I looked to God. I trusted God. I, I cried in faith to God. But, but God had a different plan. God went a different direction. And He preached from Isaiah chapter 40, where it talks about that God is an everlasting God and God is the God of creation. But it also says He is inscrutable. Do you like that word? Inscrutable. And Tony will say when you think God is going to zig, He zags. <laughs> When you think the door is going to be open, the door is shut. When you think that all the lights are green, all of a sudden when you get up to the stoplight, it just immediately turns red and God says, don't go down this path, it's not for you. It is a healthy place to be in your life where there are not false expectations Put on God. Essentially, the word inscrutable, what Tony went on to say is we can know the character of God. He's good, He's faithful, He's just, and He's loving, but we don't always understand His ways. And my guess is that there are many of you that are out here this morning that you have found yourself in a circumstance where there's a a marriage that has failed, there's a diagnosis that's been given, there's something that's going on in the life of one of your children or your grandchildren, and you would do anything, you would do anything if God would redeem the situation, but He has been silent. And so you're, one of those, you're, in, you're in one of those moments of life where faith is on the precipice and, and can I continue and will I continue and will, when will He step in and will, when will He redeem me? One of the things that, that I've learned about a crisis or shut doors is that the right response is to pray and to seek all the more. And let me explain that. Our family has, over the past five years, been through two crises: One where my wife was diagnosed with an illness that they said had no diagnosis. Basically, they said she's, she's dying and we don't know what's killing her. And, 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 and we, I can remember I can remember praying. We've been together, I met her when I was 19 years of age, the first day in college. And I, I, just, I just fell in love with her. It was one of those love at first sights, and, and I was not a believer, and she was a believer who was just beginning to grow in her faith. And, and she, she wouldn't go out with me, but we, we would sit and we'd talk. And I never really had an honest conversation about faith. And she'd tell me about God. And I'd ridicule her. And I'd make fun of her for being a believer in, 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 in the mythology of Scripture and, and that there's a God and you know, all the kind of things that she believed in. And I, but I can remember as, as, as we had those conversations that God began to pursue me. And so she's been such a significant part of my life and I've watched this woman give her life to her children and give her life to make disciples around the world and to leave her home in America and to risk going into war zones and and, and, and her willingness. And and now, God, I'm going to lose her. And so the Bible the Bible talks about the different types of prayer and one supplication and there was a lot of supplication and the other type of prayer which in Greek is called rogando which is just simply like it's, it's, it's crying out to God in an accusatory way and I remember working through all those processes where I cried out to God and when I got tired of God's absence of speaking I began to say God I, can't, I do not understand what you're doing I do not see any glory in this but if you would heal her if you would heal her Father I would go before the congregation i would lift my hands and i would praise you but church he did not he did not she's home today because part of her illness is she has chronic pulmonary issues and she can't get around groups and crowds you know we all come here and we hug each other and say, i love you in the name of jesus and i oh, just getting over the flu I have to take care of her because she's weak. We don't don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. But I've discovered the sufficiency and the grace of God in the valley. I've discovered the goodness of God in my weakness. As a matter of fact, I'd I'd go on further to say that you and I will never taste the power of God until we learn to embrace our own feebleness. It is in our feebleness. It is in our lack of resources. Our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, by the way, where the church is growing, they have no resources. And so when the government comes and they they put the pastors in prison and they persecute the church, all the church can do is come together and get on their knees and say, God, we have nothing. We have nothing. We have only you. And yet the glory of God is transforming nations around the world today, Arabic nations, the, the Asia, where we've never seen a move of God in the way that we're seeing it now. But it is at the point of the church's weakness, not at the point of the church's strength. Maybe the fact that we don't have to pray is to our ill. Maybe with the fact that we can trust and have confidence in our own resources, maybe that is one of the reasons we do not taste and see and experience the power of God in the life of our families and the congregations today. Number three is you get to the place where you listen more than ask. One of the most glorious places I've found to be in life is having kind of prayed yourself out which God rewards in His own way. But sometimes it is in the listening that God speaks. Do you remember the story in the Bible? I love the story of Elijah where he goes against Jezebel. And, the, you know, she's kind of the evil queen. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like a Disney story. And he just kind of boldly speaks against her. And he calls down fire. And he, uh, the, the, the false prophets are devoured. And, and then the next morning he gets up and she threatens him and he runs. He fails. He gets discouraged and he gets out in the desert and he's saying, God, you you don't have anybody but me. It's all lost. It's all over. He's he's all discouraged. And so he goes through all this exercise of, of praying to God and crying out to God and accusing God of not being there for him when he really needs him. And then all of a sudden, he, he makes his way, there's no, there's no voice, and he makes his way to the mouth of the cave where he's, he's, he's hiding. And a strong wind comes, and it breaks the rocks. And uh, then there's an earthquake, and it shatters the mountains. And there's a fire in the valley, and he watches the fire. And, and all through that time, the voice of God does not speak. And then after it's all happened, all of a sudden, there was a whisper, and God spoke to Elijah sometimes the best we can do in the crises of life is muddle through and wait on our Redeemer. Do you remember the story? I love the Old Testament stories in Daniel. You know, we we love to hear about how they were thrown into the fiery furnace. But folks, God, God, God did not deliver them from the fiery furnace. He delivered them in the fiery furnace. Do you understand that? Your suffer- suffering is suffering, not the absence of God. Your-, your closed doors and your failures is not an indication that you are not a child of God. God has His inscrutable purposes in your life. And the one that we know for certain is that his ultimate objective is that Joe Dylan would decrease and Jesus Christ would increase in me for his everlasting glory. Fourth thing that I want to mention is time is in God's favor. Three visions around Christmas. We talk about Zachariah. Mary, Simeon, don't have a lot of time to go into them other than the fact that not one of them ever saw the vision of God fulfilled in their lives. The visions were fulfilled after their deaths. God was true to His Word, but they never saw that. They lived their lives hoping in the completion of the Word that God had given to them. But in their lives, it did not happen. When I moved to uh, Asheville back years ago, uh, on staff of a church as a pastor, and uh, we had a children's pastor. And, you know, people getting new pastor, they get all excited for a while. <laughs> After a while, they go, uh. Uh, and she had a husband she'd fallen in love with in high school. And, you know, one of those situations where he wasn't a Christian, and uh, uh, she, you know, she, her kind of thought was, you're a new pastor, you know, maybe you can have some influence on him. So, you know, she kind of set it up to where uh, I was going to come over to visit with him and she was going to disappear. Of course, that made him real happy. Uh, and so we, we sat down in a chair and she walked out and said, I'm going to the mall. And I began to share the gospel with him. And I got out just a few words before he put up his hand. And, and this was a rough guy. He, said, he put up his hand and he said, not interested, Preacher. And I thought, well, I'll just press through this one between me and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I started talking some more, and he just took the TV controller and just... He just brought that volume up to where he couldn't hear a word I was saying. And so for years, every time we were in a staff meeting, she, she would pray for him, and she'd ask us to pray for him, and she would she would cry tears over him and some of the guys we got together we began to pray for him and guys began to reach out to him and every time anybody ever tried to share the gospel with him he'd just say I am not interested so after five or six years of praying for him you know with me and all my sensitivity and graciousness I just came to the conclusion the guy's a jerk (laughs) here's this woman crying tears over a jerk Heavy drinker, I mean a lot of things going on in his life, filthy mouth, no interest, no interest in the gospel at all, and, and and here she is praying for this man. A few years ago, after I left the church, I got the word that she was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and we didn't see each other much because our lives weren't intersecting any longer, and one day, my wife and I were out for a walk, and uh, we came across her, and her hair was all gone because of the chemotherapy. She had a little scarf on her head and uh, she was smiling. And so, you know, I just, I did again, I guess my wonderful sensitivity, you know, I just thought, well, she's got good news. She's been through this chemotherapy and they've said it's in recession. But as we began to talk with her, she said, no, she said, they basically said there's no cure that I'm going to die. And uh, that, you know they might can slow this cancer down for a period of time, but they can't stop it. And uh, she's she's got this beautiful, radiant face. And she says, "You know, Joe, if I die, if I live, I live for him. If I die, I die for him. I'm okay. Would you pray for him?" I thought no. I didn't say that. I'm not that insensitive. But you pray for him. The next time I saw her, she was much declined, but still the same joyous, radiant woman. And our last parting words were, "You know, pray for him." So she died. He comes and stands in a back room in the funeral, not wanting to talk to anybody. Walks in, sits in the back of the funeral home during the service, and he leaves before the funeral service is over so that he won't have to talk to anybody. So here's this woman who has faithfully prayed and pled with God, do something. Save my husband. Break down the wall of my husband. And he has stubbornly and arrogantly refused to listen to the good news of the Gospel that could change his life. So three months later, I get up one morning and I get a text from his mother-in-law. and She said, do you know he died last night? Massive heart attack. You know, I tried to say the right thing. I tried to say, you know, I'm so sorry to hear that. What a tragedy is for her family. And she texted me back. She said, do you know what happened? I said, no. She said, two weeks ago, he gave his life to Christ. And she said, Joe, he was a transformed man. You see, time is not in our favor, but it is in God's. You and I might go a long, long journey of difficulty and adversity, and we're crying out to God, God, where are you in this? And the reality is, God is there. But we may never be rescued in the moment. And that doesn't decry or decline His faithfulness or His love or His sufficiency or His grace or His mercy because His ultimate goal is that you would know Him. So time is in God's favor. And the fifth thing is I want to say in closing this morning is ultimately faith is the goal. In Hebrews 11, essentially what the Scripture says is God rewards those who seek Him. Now, I love Hebrews 11 because there's, there's two conflicting, two contrad, inter, you know, kind of stories that we, we kind of focus on. One. one, it talks about women who prayed for their children who had died and God raised them from the dead. Isn't that a good story? Wouldn't it be cool on a Sunday morning? Well, gosh, one, I mean, I just hate to hear that Fred passed away. No, he, oh, he did die, but God brought him back. Woohoo! But we never read the rest of the text. And it says, and there were others who were sawn in too. So, so some, some obviously see God in a miraculous way coming and redeeming and rescuing and saving them from the circumstances and the fears that they've had in their life. And God delivers them and they stand in the congregation and they give the glory to God. But there are others... That when they were sold into, when they were, when they were threatened, when when life disappeared, when their dreams died, when all the doors were closed, they trusted God. And the Bible says they received the reward of their faith. What is God doing in our closed doors and our failures, in our adversity? I just kind of mention three things. God is not interested in your self sufficiency. God, if you are a child of God, God will do whatever it takes and he'll spend as long as it takes to wean you off the delusion that you're in control. Because as long as it's your intellectual capacity, your financial capacity, your emotional capacity to deal with life, you'll never know His strength nor His power. The Apostle Paul, a wise man, a smart man, had to say about his disease, which we don't even know what it was, that it is in my weaknesses that I have determined and discovered and tasted His strength. It is not a bad place to be in life to declare our weakness before a sovereign, all-powerful God and turn to Him. God is not interested in what this church can do for God, but God is interested in what He can do through you. Number two. God carries us through life so that we might experience less talk and more walk. While knowledge is good, relationship is better. As a young guy coming out of seminary, I I knew a lot about God. I knew a lot of facts about God. I I knew a lot of truths about God. but But it's in the valleys of life. It is in my failures, it is in my fears that I have come to know He is a reliable, trustworthy, loving, caring God who walks through us, with us, through the roughest and most difficult of times. So, maybe God is more interested in you having a deeper, dependent relationship with Him than you are just having more information about Him. That information won't carry you through the valley, but that relationship will. And then the last thing that I want to say this morning as we close is this. When I was a young guy, I was pretty full of myself. (laughs) Life has a way of dealing with that, doesn't it? Uh, I used to think by going overseas and doing some of the things and seeing some of the things that God did that somehow I was doing something for God. And then it dawned on me one day that I wasn't doing anything that God couldn't do for Himself the truth of the matter is that life is nothing but a privilege of seeing Him work on our behalf. And so part of the process of our failures and the closed doors and our disappointments in life, and I want you to hear this, is He is teaching you to rest and trust in the God who can when you cannot. And if this morning you find yourself in the place of the impossible, then the imitation of Christ Himself is, I am the one who opens the doors. Second missionary journey, Paul got into those places. God opened a door for him to get into another place. If we were to go and read the rest of the text, there were other open doors that Paul followed. But in the moment, he had to overcome that despair. And that's the way life is going to be for all of us as believers. And so my encouragement to you is do not be misinformed. Do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. Your God is a sovereign God over all, in all, and able to conquer all for His glory. Rest and trust in God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, uh, we just uh, stand here and declare our weakness before You. I I even have come to the place where I, I embrace... I've learned so much in my discouragement, my failures, and my disappointments. I found you to be true. Jesus didn't say, Come and know more about me. He said, Come and abide in me, and I will abide in you. And, And Lord, I love your presence. I love your presence. It's all that I have is your presence. I'm grateful for your truth, but to touch you, to smell you, to know that you exist. To know that in my living and in my dying and my struggling, that Father, you walk with me. That at times I do not have the strength to take another step, that Father, you carry me. This is the abundance that you bring to the life of those who put their trust in you. God, let us not be disillusioned by the enemy of our souls. Let us accept our weakness so that we can glory in your strength. Let us not live the cultural myth that Life is about success. No, no, it is about surrender to the God who cares. So if you're here this morning as we close with our heads just for a minute bowed, if you are wounded, if you are hurting, If you are disappointed then flee to the God who carries your burdens. Flee to him. Now, flee to him. So I don't I don't even know what that means. Flee to him. Like a child, cry out to the Father. He's aware of every valley of every step of every sense of brokenness in your heart God cares for you he came he came to heal you do not leave this place this morning without doing business with God in your your place of disappointment where you've cried out to God and nothing has been the response wait wait Listen, he may not be in the fire, he may not be in the earthquake, but he will be in the whisper. He is good. He's good. He's good. He is good and his mercy is everlasting. And he's worthy. He's worthy of our worship. Father, be glorified. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. I love you because you have loved me so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.